friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. Sorry, guys, can't do the pro wrestling intro. Um, I have been on the verge of death with this uh, super flu that my kids have helped develop in our their cesspool of a daycare. So yeah, I have been out. It's been bad, uh, but we are here to do the work uh, as we had mandated for ourselves. I am joined this week, as always, by my brother in Scottish arm. Alex Dundino. There you go. <laughs> so guys, this is the pod unleashes its inner beast month. We're doing all werewolf bangers. Uh, this week, we are covering Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers. Um, I have always liked this movie. I've liked it for... I, I found this... God, when did I find this? I think I saw The Descent, and that was when Neil Marshall became like a big thing to me, right? Right. Because The Descent was one of those I saw in theaters in college, and it just fucking blew me away. I The Descent is still one of my all-time favorite in-theater horror experiences. Uh, not even simply because I am extremely claustrophobic for people that know me. My two fears, heights and claustrophobia. And that movie hits both of them, actually. Um, and then you just get the fun creature feature at the end, the betraying, uh, dueling friends. It's a really good movie. So after that, I was seeking out other Neil Marshall and I found Dog Soldiers. And I just think it's one of those movies. It's just so hits me in that primitive young josh griffey brain it had all the cool parts that i would like in a movie <laughs> right uh combined and mixed through alchemy to make this really fucking fun uh awesome it's more of an action movie than a horror movie yeah what were your first thoughts had you ever seen dog soldiers before never seen it before i uh knew that neil marshall came from somewhere so that was nice to know where this is his first feature i didn't know that um Oh, I didn't know this was the first, but yeah, it was this early. This is his first feature. He was working as an editor at the time when uh, he was able able to make this movie. So it was pretty cool. I really, I, I texted you like in the middle of the movie. I realized I'm like, I am really fucking enjoying this. Like, this is a yeah. really fun movie. Like, it doesn't <laughs> take itself too seriously, just seriously enough. Like, there's a lot to enjoy, and there's a lot to like. There's a lot of great fun horror. There's a lot of good comedy, like just like plain, like decent comedy going on. Um, and then on top of that, it's just a great like it's a great set piece. Like it's a great example of someone saying, like, I have access to X, Y and Z. What should I do with it? Right. So it's like <laughs> it's like Neil Marshall told his friend who's a creature guy, like, hey, do you have any like leftover prosthetics? Well, I got this like giant wolf costume. Cool. I have a giant cabin out in the woods. Why don't we just, I don't know, fucking make a movie with it. Like it's, it feels like that. And I love that about it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It actually about halfway into the film, it becomes evil dead. Yeah, exactly. Which I thought was, they even had the montage of a, cause I actually said the alternative uh, title for this could have been called Chekhov's electric carving knife. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, cause they definitely had the montage of, looking for all the different, you know, instruments throughout the house that they could use to brain a werewolf. Right. And even getting the electric carving knife, I'm like, oh, shit, that's Evil Dead too, man. That's cool. Uh, unlike Chekhov, though, this movie, it didn't follow the basic rule. 
when you show me an electric carving knife, you've got to electrically carve something with it. <laughs> so uh, there was a lot of that, which was strange, because they went to the sword three or four times. Yeah. Which I was like, I get it. We're in the Scottish Highlands. Swords are cool. But come on. Like, I wanted a carving. I was going to yeah, say, I mean, this movie combines two of your favorite things, which is werewolves and Highlanders. So, you know. That's right. With with an overall kind of setting of Evil Dead. It's <laughs> yeah. actually a very perfectly formulated movie for it, myself. It made, I, I was actually, I wrote in my notes, I'm like, this movie essentially was made with someone like Griffey in mind. Like, Neil Marshall was figuring this out, <laughs> and he's like, there's got to be someone out there who likes werewolves, Evil Dead, and Highlander. Surely. He's got, like, some kind of weird, like, Frankenstein's paper doll, and it's just me. <laughs> He's like, somewhere this dirty, dirty little man is waiting for a movie. <laughs> oh, man. I Yeah, it was – what a fucking blast, man. I Not only that, like, a really great cast, too. Like – Yeah, dude. This movie has a shockingly shocking. good cast. Yeah. Uh, seeing Davos, the old Onion Knight, pop yeah, up. It's kind of a young cool. man, an asshole of a man. Got to see Davos. There was uh, Sean Pertwee, who, if you watched Gotham, he's a uh, – Alfred on Gotham now, but I remember him as Smitty from Event Horizon. That's my best. Yeah, knowledge see, of him. he's my he's my favorite character in the movie. Oh yeah, he has all the uh, best lines. Yeah, Davos is great. Um, what's the other guy's name? Lee Kid. Kevin McKid. Kevin McKid. Yeah, yeah. He uh, see, this was another thing because I found this movie around the time I I was obsessed with HBO's Rome. Oh yeah, when that was coming out, and he was the uh, the head legionnaire for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah, man. This cast, I I love because it, it's hard because at the start with the cast, it's got the uh, the band of brothers kind of thing, right? So yeah, these guys are dropped in on a training mission. You know, one of them's like, "Oh, footy, footy, I need the footy." And a couple of the guys, it's really hard to ever distinguish who they are. It's like just random shaved head white guy. <laughs> yeah. But they do such a good job of so quickly uh, finding a comfort level between all the characters that feels completely authentic to me. Yeah. And the way they talk and the way they joke, um, it really sinks you in fast. Like, you feel like you're just, you're like, oh, I'm probably just the extra pi- private sitting over there on the other side of the campfire watching this. Right. It it gets you in on an intimate level very quickly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, man, I fucking... Because they have most of the guys there are kind of just basic, oh, I'd rather be doing something else, whatever. And right, then right. Uh, Kevin McKidd or, uh, you know, the the captain, the sergeant, yeah. will just drop in with these fucking horrific war stories, right? And bring you back like, oh, shit, real acting. Like, oh, my God, this is intense. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, man, the time you spend with the squad is is really some of the best time in the movie. Yeah. I Because uh, it really does, like, you rapidly forget that there's any sort of werewolf element. Like you forget very quickly. Cause especially for the first 15 minutes, like you get that in the opening. Cause this is something I've noticed of all. Oh, werewolf dude, we movies. totally skipped. Yeah. Two opening scenes. Yeah. All werewolf movies, by the way, are starting to have like, we've watched enough, even this month we've, we've like, we've only talked about two, but I've seen enough <laughs> over my lifetime. I realize where all werewolf movies seem to open the same way, which is some, animal or person is shredded to pieces by an unseen other animal. And that's like what starts the whole movie. And it's kind of this weird little trope that all werewolf movies seem to have. And I'm trying to figure out if that's just like what we need to do to establish that there's some horror element. There's some sort of werewolf element, or is this just like 
the convenient way to say like, Hey, you're in a werewolf movie. And then like you move on with your day. Like, well, def- definitely horror movies love the cold open, right? right. The, here is a microcosm scene of the kind of scary story. We want to tell you the rest of the way, right? right Sets right. the tone. And then often they'll jump back. Like now we're over here starting the real narrative, but remember that thing's coming. Right. Um, I also think just in the werewolf vibe, right? The uh, coming across something that has been brutally shredded and then realizing, oh, yeah, I'm made of meat, too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a really cool place to put your audience as soon as possible. Yeah, totally. I did notice something, though. These are not normal werewolves, man. No. Because there's a scene that struck me as so fucking strange this time around, which is... So the girl gets her boyfriend a silver knife and it's like, oh, now it's time for a silver knife pound. I'm so excited about this gift, right? Right. So they're in the tent getting it down. Next thing you know, they begin to hear something, right? A menace outside of the tent. And instead of coming through the tent, as a werewolf would probably do, right? Slash it open and take your meat. Yeah. Slowly zips or unzips the tent. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, this thing's in full werewolf form. So imagine it has to hook its giant claw into that zipper. It slowly unzip. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. They're not just hunting. Because this has two cool were- werewolf elements to me, right? Which is the using of a military unit to kind of uh, juxtapose that with the pack hunting mentality, right? Right. Of the werewolves. I think it's a really fun game they play in this. Sure. But the fact that they're not just these trained killers on a mission or these, you know, uh, beast unchained out there just slaughtering at random. Yeah. The slow zip adds a theatricality. Very good. And a uh, something about maybe the meat tastes different if uh, you get the fucking uh, fear hormones <laughs> raging, whatever it is. Right, right. But I was like, oh, my God, I don't think. I don't think there are a lot of examples of werewolves uh, taunting their kills before they attack in a lot of other movies. No, I don't think there is either. And I think that also this also brings up a point that I like, which is I actually prefer Wolfman werewolf over just like wolf werewolf. Uh, I've always liked the Wolfman. I think it's be it's the body horror fan in me. Like I prefer I prefer, can, you, can you break that down for me a little more specifically well, what like, that means? Well, like to me, there's two versions of the werewolf story. It's either like you have like the wolf man, which is a man who's basically a man with covered in hair. Like it's like, you know, Lon Chaney Jr., like that kind of thing. Where right. You have a man who's turned right. into a wolf, uh, but he's still like a bipedal animal. And then you have right. like American Werewolf in London and, uh, you know, Ginger Snaps where someone is becoming fully a dog. Just kind of like a feral beast. Right, exactly. Like yeah. I prefer movies where it's becoming a wolf man rather than a werewolf, so to speak. I that's how right. I'd probably describe it. And so that well, was I think visually it's fun to see that melding of the two. Yeah, right? I agree. I think it's a little more exciting and it also puts you sort of on another plane of existence because like, you know, this is a horrible example, but I'm gonna use it anyways. Like this is the reason <laughs> this is the reason That's the like, level we aspire to on this show. The reason, you won't like it, but I'm saying <laughs> Right. This is the reason the Twilight thing sucks, is because they're just giant dogs. Like nobody gives a shit about giant dogs. That's like, the only critique. There well, there's many critiques, but we don't have that much time. Uh <laughs> actually we have all the time in the world, I just don't feel like talking about Twilight. Um but that's like the problem is 
Like it's a giant dog. And that to me is less imposing. Like the only time that's ever been really scary to me is like American Wolf in London. I was all, but that was also the way it's shot and so on and so forth. Like what I like about is the werewolf actually scary or is him devolving into it? The scary part. I don't know. Like, I think I like to me. The werewolf was never that scary at the end when it's lunging around and all the people are like, "Ah!" right. Yeah. And he only kills a handful of people. It's not necessarily watching his body turn. Yeah, that is gross. It's not necessarily a method of fear, but I like the I like the animal human hybrid that happens with a wolf man. That that to me is very cool. And also uh, a little more fun with like creature feature and makeup stuff. Like I like that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that would be my preference, too. And again, uh, yeah, I mean, that's right. It's different creature effects and makeup allow it to be something uh, that's a bit of a grotesquerie, an anomaly to what we would actually see, right? Yeah. You know, like if you're watching Game of Thrones, like, oh, that's a wolf, a giant wolf. But if that thing could fucking stand up and had like, you know, Spartan six pack, you know what I mean? (laughs) And some underwear. You'd be like, oh, my God, this show is the greatest well, ever. It was like like that uh, remake of The Wolfman that came out a few years ago with uh, Del Toro yeah. and um, Anthony Hopkins. Like, that movie is not good, and I didn't enjoy it very much. But what I did enjoy was watching Anthony Hopkins turn into a werewolf. I'm like, whoa, cool. Anthony Hopkins yeah, is a wolfman now. It had, it had, like, some moments where you really get into it. But you had to – that was one of those you had to be willing to, you know, just kind of right. sit in the stench and but, be like, well – We'll get there someday. But what Dog Soldiers does is they do that Wolfman thing. And what I love, though, is that it's really kind of not revealed till like, the back half of the movie. You don't get a good look until sort of closer to the end. Um, but I love yeah, that Yeah, because it's aspect. about the halfway point, right? So yeah. we have the opening of the, the ta- taunting your kill. Then we have the uh, escape soldier special forces uh, training mission, right? Right, right. So this sets up our backstory between um, Kevin Kevin Kidd's character. Ke- Kevin McKidd and Sir Davos. Yes. So this sets up their backstory where essentially he's been on the run for almost a full day. And they're like, oh, you made it longer than anyone. You could be special forces. But you got to shoot this dog in the face. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and that- this sets up uh, a running theme in the movie. Where Davos's character, right? He's this hard-ass special forces guy. What's his name? Bradley? Uh, hang on, I'll look it up. But either way, keep going. But yeah, so the special forces Davos, probably at least three to four times in the movie, is just desperate to murder a, a dog. <laughs> Captain Ryan. And yes, that guy. Thre- Ryan, that's right. He threatens to shoot a dog at least three times. <laughs> like, without question. Like, he wants to kill a dog three times. It's weird. Well, it's funny because this is a special forces training and it sets, uh, you know, Cooper up as this character, right? Of he is this hard ass soldier. He's obviously good at his job. And they're like, just kill the dog. This is how we found you. If you kill the enemy's ability to find you, you survive the game longer. You right. survive. Right. I need men who aren't afraid and will do anything. He's like, I'm not saying I won't shoot a dog. I just won't shoot this dog yeah. right now. And not they get into I this won't. very long, de- like emotional debate over it. Yeah. And I, it struck me as very odd, right? I was like, well, this is just a strange, like, diversion. <laughs> but then I was like, actually, that's kind of the whole thing, right? Oh, like, yeah, no. That's the You're movie trying in to a train nutshell. these soldiers to be these unanswering or unfeeling machines, right? Essentially, like, when I give an order, you fucking, you know, boots hit the ground and you go carry out my fucking order. Right. 
And he obviously wants to be the top of the top soldier. Like, this is a man who's fully committed to this life. And just some random dog. It's not even a particularly, like, friendly-looking dog, right? It's not like a dog that would have its own Instagram. It's like a big fucking just tough. A big fucking tough, like... Yeah, uh, bite your fucking like throat Schnauzer, out dog, yeah. right? Yeah, it looks like a big German Shepherd-type dog, whatever. Right. And uh, he won't fucking shoot it. And I actually thought that was cool, because the question I had, I was like, does Cooper think that... This is a moral test for him, right? Right, right. Like, by not shooting the dog, he's showing his true colors. Or does he know that this ignoring the order will fuck him the way it does? I don't... And I, I, I was wondering that, like, literally for the rest of the movie. And I think that it has much more to do with, like, what we're interpreting as the audience from Cooper's character deciding not to do that than it does anything yeah. else. Like, I don't think he gives a shit that he like this will fuck him and he'll get like busted down to private or some shit. I think he I think mainly from a storytelling perspective, we just want to see that this is a guy who's not he's not the usual special forces guy. Yeah, and it's 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 so weird cuz it seemed like such a strange moment when he's like shoot this fucking dog. I was like, "Huh?" But then I really got into the ethics of this decision and it continues to weigh on throughout. Because, like, even as you see them now, he's back on this training exercise with this squad of fucking football-loving dipshits and this old Sarge, right? Right. And you have to wonder, is Cooper sitting there like, God damn it, one dog, and I would have been up in the fucking bigs. <laughs> like, I was wondering in my brain, I'm like, do you think Cooper regrets killing that fuck, not killing that dog? I don't think he does because he finds Sir Davos, he finds Captain Ryan in a pretty precarious situation. Like, right. after, of course, but, all this shit's going down. Okay, now this, we've all been in this spot, right? It's like, I made a choice and it didn't work out my way. Right. And they, what is that? It's this economics theory, right? It's called the sunken cost fallacy. Right, right. And like, gamblers have it and people that make bad investments. Like, well, I already am so far into this thing. I better just keep throwing all my money and time and effort into this and it'll turn around, right? Right, right. Instead of cutting their losses. And so I wondered in the movie if this is Cooper, right? Where he's like, now I definitely can't admit that I should have killed that dog. I would have killed that dog. But now I'm going to spend the rest of the movie pretending I love dogs more than everyone on Earth. <laughs> I love the double down theory going on here. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be like, this is like a kind of movie that gets you like nominated for a PETA award. Like that's, yeah. that's like the level Kevin McKidd's at in this movie. Uh, yeah, right? I... There's one. I mean, thing- except for he shoots a lot of other like dog adjacent. Yeah, dog people. adjacent animals and people. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way yeah. to put it. Dog adjacent. I like that. There's yeah, right. this whole movie starts off with, by the way, like the like obviously the movie begins and continues, but like the like real, I guess werewolf plot of the movie starts with probably one of the most like shocking like, whoa, where did that come from? Was they're just sitting around the campfire, John about, you know, football and all kinds of other shit. <laughs> and then yeah. out of fucking nowhere, there's a slow motion shot of a goddamn werewolf getting thrown on top of their fire. And these no, guys. No, it's a cow. It's a giant it's a cow, cow carcass. Oh, it's I a swear to cow. God, it was a giant. Wow. I did not this pick is that the part up. Because they're actually doing like this really great monologue, right? Yeah, it's wonderful. About Sarge's friend. And this is great about how, oh, oh man, you know. We fucking got out of all these tough spots, so right. the devil must be watching my skin, right? God might watch me, but the devil watches my skin. 
and his friend gets blown up by an IED and he talks about how he found the skin, the ass flap skin that had the devil's face on it, right. unburned by the IED as his friend was mush. And you're like sucked into the TV. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's a seductive. beautiful fucking monologue. It's like, it's top notch acting. Yeah. And you are so fucking in. And then all of a sudden, boom. It's, and yeah, it's a cow. And the just the entire physics of it, right? Yeah. You're like, so that thing is a several hundred pounds. Right. Where did it fall from? How close is it? And then immediately guys are getting up with their guns and they only have blanks, right? But they're like, we should move. And the guy's like, no, we are going to stay here and camp for the night and then make a plan in the morning. And you're like, it's actually raining cow corpses. <laughs> I feel uh, that, like that's bad soldiering. That's one of my favorite, like, terrible shit soldier decisions is like, no, we're staying here. We're hunkering down. <laughs> Who cares if cows are being thrown at us? We need to stay put. Like, nothing about that decision makes sense to me. No, it's and an I, actual scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, yes. If King Arthur and his knights had said, let's just stay here as they launch cows and fucking other farm animals from a catapult. um so that so the next morning they wake up and this is something i really liked actually because i I think there also is like this prevailing sentiment that like obviously in darkness when you can't see things it's a little scarier i did like that there was a lot of danger in the daytime too like that's something that i think gets missed a lot of the time and i think something neil marshall knew so he puts a lot of he, there is a lot of danger going on during the day. Like it's not just nighttime mm. stuff because like that's when Sean Pertwee gets fucking torn to shreds, which might be one of my favorite Wait. like exchanges between him and uh, Kevin McKidd is he's like holding his he's like holding his uh, his innards that have spilled out because he's been slashed and yeah. So this this is dusk, right? They already found yeah. Ryan's camp, and they then all Ryan's of a sudden. Camp. They have like that little like magic hour. It's like we got to get somewhere now because shit's going down. Right, right. But yeah, they're already werewolves. Yeah, before the moon's out. But so no, but actually, yeah. So he gets his guts ripped out, but his private actually in fear fucking impales himself on a tree. Yeah, that was a gnarly <laughs> fucking tree death. Like how fast do you have to be running to murder yourself on a tree branch? I loved, uh, but yeah, the, the line is I looked I, I looked it up too afterwards. It's like. It's uh, my guts are out, Coop. We'll put them back in then. They're not going to fucking fit. Of course they'll fit. They won't fucking fit. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of my all-time favorite exchanges. My guts are coming out. They won't fucking fit back in. That is genius. This movie has so many good fucking hard-ass soldier lines. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. My favorite one is at the end. There's this cool scene when the werewolves are kind of descending on the house now and they're in, right? We're down to our last couple soldiers. And the soldier's kind of been like the wimpiest one of all. I mean, they're all pretty tough, right? By the time they're at the house, they're all tough. But he actually takes two. He turns into this like feral scream of a man. And he's like, I'm going to fucking Irish box and dip and jab a werewolf. Right, right. right. And I was like, holy fuck, we're werewolf boxing. I've never (laughs) seen that shit. I was like, this is like Jason takes Manhattan level cool. And so he's, like, actually slipping and fucking sticking this werewolf. And I was like, yeah. And the werewolf fucking smacks him. <laughs> Eventually, he runs out of steam, right? Right, right. And the werewolf has him up by the throat. And he just fucking looks at him and spits in their face. And he goes, 
I hope I give you wimps the shits. <laughs> yes. And I was like, yeah. That is probably. I was like, fuck yeah, man. Like in his moment of death, there's no crying or, oh, the humanity or, oh, I'll never see my family again. It's like, I hope I give you the shits. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you're gonna, I'm going to give you fucking diarrhea, motherfucker. Like, uh that one and like we haven't talked about the house stuff yet, but like the or the well, she's in the beginning of the movie. There's a woman named Megan in the movie who, um, she basically you find out in the middle, and then towards the end of the movie, like she has the reveal that she's a werewolf. She's sort of like the mole on the yeah. Inside. Well, first off, she's a zoologist who was already hired. This her storyline gets very for what is essentially a very simple story, right? Military exercise, uh is the guys yeah. for an actual werewolf hunt so they can build these kind of hybrid lycanthrope soldiers, right? right? It's very That's werewolf women. Halfway the through, as they're running from werewolves, they get picked up in a car by a woman, and she's the only person out there at all who happens to be there at the same time. So you know something's off. But Ryan already had her working for him as a zoologist, and she's a park ranger, and the family in the house where they were, has like their food is still hot, but right. they're not there. So there's all these kind of like, what? Like all these missing pieces. And then at the end, she's like, well, I brought you here so that hopefully you could free me be- from being a werewolf. But now that you can't, I'm a werewolf again. But then <laughs> right before she morphs, she has this amazing, like it's probably one of my favorite lines. And I laughed out loud is she starts like turning into a werewolf. She goes, it's that time of the month. And I'm like, this no. movie fucking kicks. <laughs> No questions asked. That's what we're doing in this movie. It's like, it's it's just the way like Sam Raimi Evil Dead beats work because it's all the same shit. Like, it feels like it feels like the all these lines were written for Bruce Campbell and they just like parceled them out to other people in the movie because Bruce Campbell clearly <laughs> was supposed to be in this for some reason and he could not right. do it. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I got all the period werewolf jokes I needed out of Ginger Snaps. No, no. Uh, there's never. I don't there's... know. I didn't. I didn't like that moment. Also, it's a weird moment, right? Because Cooper has some kind of very weird thing with women going on in this movie. Yeah, I don't get it. He talks about early in the movie. It's like, what are you afraid of? He's like, spiders and women <laughs> and women spiders or spider women. And he has some other line about how like you can't trust women or this and that. Right. And when she turns, he kind of has this knowing look on his face like, I've been trying to tell you. I've been trying to tell you, tell you every woman is an evil fucking werewolf Judas. <laughs> but I was like, we're really playing into Cooper's worst trait here. And I don't love that moment. <laughs> so they get picked up by this lady and they go to the house where the food's still hot and they're trying to figure it out. But like, yeah, it turns into the evil dead, which is, I think, fucking rad, man. Like, it takes yeah, the it's kind of like an evil dead uh, night of the living dead. Yeah. Just defend the house, right? We got to make it till morning. It takes the husk of like three great horror movies and turns into one like very solid action horror comedy hybrid. It's fucking fun, man. Like. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's cool because this is a, a very famous version of a lot of horror movies, right? I mean, in a way, this is what every Friday the 13th movie is, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera. It's, we have this one location uh, in the middle of nowhere. There's no help coming. We got to survive, right? And often it is till dawn. Um, and yeah, man, it just, it what always works for me in that scenario is that the stakes are so high. So you take people that are at their absolute breaking point. They're running out of 
the the easy weapons to defend themselves with. They're running out of bodies. They haven't eaten. They haven't slept. Uh, and there's a ticking clock. And there's a giant monster trying to come and fucking eat them. So for me, you know, anytime I see this in a movie, I'm already like, well, yeah, I pretty much am bought in. You know what I mean? Yeah. This isn't one of those movies that you have to be like, like the King's speech, like, is it a big deal if that guy just goes back to being rich? Like, wouldn't Winston <laughs> Churchill eventually have gotten around to inspiring people? Like, all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't have to, like, do that debate. Like, this is a this is a life or death struggle. Right. And if you like the characters at all, which I would say the, the real backbone of this movie is how fucking much you fall in love with this squad of soldiers. Yeah. Um. And then even how much you hate Ryan, right? You want Cooper to prove Ryan wrong, that he is the ultimate soldier. Right. So you're getting it from, like, the love and the hate, right? Like, the fucking Knight of the Hunter fucking whatever. Uh, that's a good way to put it, yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, you just you fall in love and the stakes are fucking high. And then, yeah, they do a really good job with the werewolf fun. Yeah. They, they have some really fucking good uh, gory kills here. They have the guys at the window, right? So they just finish... This is something all the soldiers do, and only one of them gets gotten for it. But every soldier loves to put their back to the window as they're yeah, reloading. I don't understand I was that. like, guys. Because the one guy's like, dog soldiers, more like pussies, am I right? <laughs> yeah. Then he gets pulled out of the window and fucking shredded. That's my favorite. Cause... No, he's the one they find later. He's getting eaten in the yeah. fucking barn. But Oh, that scene was awesome. What I love about that beat is... When you're watching the movie, knowing full well like the rules of these horror movies and that kind of thing, as soon as he says that with his back turned, you're like, "This guy's iced for sure." Like you're waiting for yeah. it to happen. Like I love that <laughs> Neil Marshall basically plays with the genre to the point where like he's telegraphing the pass and letting you know what's going to happen, and it's still fucking cool. Like that is a talent. Yeah. Man. That's talent. But what what he did right, and this is the thing. I think one of the biggest problems with horror movies is too many horror movies are constantly trying to deconstruct and reinvent the genre, right? Right, right. You don't need to reinvent the stuck-in-a-house monsters trying to eat me. Like, I get it. What Neil Marshall did is he found his werewolves are a little different and have some unique traits that make them fun. Right. Uh, you know, he's got military guys instead of just normal humans. You know, he added his own little quirks to it. That make it fun. And at the end of the day, all you have to do is have characters you don't want to be eaten. Yeah. Being attacked by things that are really scary. And and that movie will work. Um. So, yeah, he did a great job in that regard. And then, yeah, the, the horror is just fun payoff, right? It's almost tension release. Because if you just sit in there, like, the scenes where you're stuck in the house are fucking intense. Oh, yeah, they're great. Like, when they're upstairs trying to put Sarge's guts back together, that is a hard-to-watch scene for me. Imagine having to do that to your fucking friend and sergeant. Yeah. Oh no, I love every, the the uh constant Sean Pertwee's like constant like devolving into just a fucking bloody mess is one of my favorite sight gags in this movie. Like, there's not a lot like because to me, as soon as someone's guts are out, like that's the kind of thing you're like, well, this is not this is either going to be like really grim and it's not going to last very long or something like that. They carry this fucking thing through the movie, and it's really entertaining at all times. Like, yeah. when they get into the house, and that dog starts biting at his bandages, like, that might be one of the funniest sight gags. Because you can't well, tell... This, this was good, too, because, again, Cooper's in an ethically gray, <laughs> right. gray pool, right? Where he's like, I feel like I should shoot this dog. <laughs> 
And in my mind, I've taken the philosophical leap that I'm not pro every dog. Right. But if Bradley sees me kill this dog and we lose the fight, then that means I lost the last fight, too. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of heavy fucking ethical math. It's like that Cooper's put in. It's that <laughs> like that bit of the dog like trying to drag like because at first you can't tell. You think he just has him by the intestines, which is even funnier. By that's the way. what I thought. That's exactly what I that, thought. I too. thought that as well. And I'm like, I think that's the bandage because like, you know, there's no way like. That would be too, and apparently I was reading like some notes. Like apparently originally it was supposed to be his intestines, and then they decided that oh, let's do the bandage. But apparently in a lot of screenings, people who saw that were like, we can't tell the difference because it's, the bandage yeah. is so bloody. Then the other it's thing, just long stringy mess. Yeah. The other thing I love is uh, when he's up in bed and they're trying to like get him fixed up, and he is just freaking out. Uh, and he keeps like yeah, cause they're get, they're getting him drunk. Yeah, so he's getting wasted. And apparently, Sean Pertwee was actually drunk while he was doing this. So nice. There's this there's this double take bit where Kevin McKidd has to punch him in the face. So oh, I love that bit. That is a really <laughs> funny bit. Here's what happened though, because this is a great bit too. Is Sean Pertwee they throw the stage punch, misses it, whatever. Sean Pertwee comes back up and. Kevin McKidd didn't calculate right and fucking decked Sean Pertwee in the nose. <laughs> and Sean Pertwee couldn't feel it, though, because he was already so drunk. He was actually drunk in the scene that it didn't fucking matter. And they kept in. They kept the take in, which is really. Funny. <laughs> so he's actually just unconscious. He's actually unconscious and just wasted. They're like, just move the lights around him. We got a lot to make up for, guys. We got a lot of daylight is coming for us. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's fucking great. I mean, dude. that's like I, the dedication I, in this movie, though. That's the stuff you got to fucking love about this. And that's honestly, that's what's so great about this movie to me is like you see the tender love and care on screen for what ends up being a really interesting and fun hybrid horror film. There's a lot going on because, again, I think you're right. Like, this isn't really straight horror. This is truly just an action movie. Um, but all yeah, I mean, to me, it just plays like a really interesting, like, 80s Stallone movie. Yeah. Like all the right? elements <laughs> dice together so nicely that really at the end of the day, it's just a really clever movie. Like that is really kind of the long and short of it. As far as I know, like that's what's so fun about this movie is it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not married to one genre and it's not married to one kind of thing. It's trying to do it dips and dives into a bunch of different things. And it still comes out on the other side, really entertaining all the way around. Oh Yeah. I mean, but this this is what I, I I think the true testament of the movie is. You, you can you can slip a little bit on kills for me, right? Right, right. You can slip on kills, and there are a lot of kills in horror movies I love that aren't spectacularly creative, or they don't look amazing. But ah, they got blood, and the guy dies. I get it. Right, right. But again, it always comes back to. We cut from. Horror movie moment to fucking intimate life or death conversations, right? And a lot of times against uh, disparate forces that don't even trust each other. So, for instance, they send uh, the guy he keeps calling Big Man to go get the car, even though he's not bigger than Kevin McKidd, which I was like, what? Is this like one of those, <laughs> you know, mean, diminutive names? Right, I don't like, know. Oh, hey, little man. And it's like the biggest guy in the group. Yeah. Like and the guy thinks he gets out of the... Gets out of the shed, right? Even though his friend's head's been tossed on and his friend was eaten, whatever. Yeah. 
and he backs up to the door. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's just that fog of breath. Yeah. Coming right past him. And I was like, again, this is the werewolves taking their time and fucking playing with their food, man. And I was like, this is fuck. Oh, it's just, it's unsettling. Like that, when that fog, you know, that hot breath comes into the front seat, it just sends like a, ooh. I was like, oh, that's fucking intense. Right, right. Right. Yeah. If it just lunges out at him, right? You're like, oh, all right. Like he got tricked. There was a werewolf in there. But the fact that it waited for him to drive and then do the fucking three point turn to, the, you know, get to the fucking front door. I was like, that little extra waiting in the breath, that's one of those. I mean, who said that? Fincher said that, right? That a director's job is to make fast moments seem long. Right. And long moments seem very fast. And I, I think Neil Marshall really fucking does a great job of that in this movie. Oh, I agree. And also, there, there's a moment, too, where something like that with the hot breath, that that can really go both ways on a director. Sure, absolutely. Because I've seen a lot of horror movies. I'm trying to think of what I just watched. But I was watching this horror movie, and I was like, it doesn't make sense that that's how the the horror or the the kill plays out, right? Why wait right there? But early in the movie, when he shows us that fucking zipper, that's an unusual thing for a werewolf to do. Right, yeah. He gives us these little heads up, like, hey, this is more than just, uh, you know, going out and trying to find prey. This is also taunting and gloating and all this other stuff. And so... He, he cleverly builds, you know, the, the actual foundations to where it's believable that this werewolf doesn't just lunge out and immediately kill the soldier. Right, right. Um, and th- those kind of the ability to take that extra time and, and have the scare hit when you want uh, definitely deepens the impact. But you have to set those foundations properly. Otherwise, it's just like, yeah, why does a ghost, you know, wait until. You know, I turn around and wash my hands and not when I have my dick in my hand and I'm the most defenseless. Like, right. what? you know, why doesn't every ghost just live in a toilet and send a ghost hand or mouth out at your junk when you're peeing? That would give everyone a heart attack. <laughs> so, yeah, like he does a really great job. And that and that's that to me is is the skill Neil Marshall's always had in his career. Absolutely. Because he's usually in these kind of big fucking genre bombastic settings, but he always finds a way to to really root a believability in it to me. Yeah. No, I think in everything he does, and it's fun to see this movie as his first, because when you realize this is his first movie, you see the imprint of literally everything else he's done, like whether it's the descent. um, I mean, even his episode, like the two episodes he's directed of game of Thrones are like these two huge epic battle scenes. Like, and that takes, that takes a serious amount of skill. Like he did uh, the Blackwater episode. Like, there is that and the the wall, right? Wa- the watchers on the wall. on the wall, yeah. Like there's yeah. there's serious skill required for these kinds of things. And like, what's awesome about seeing dog soldiers now and seeing like that uh, Constantine, like he's done a lot of great TV directing and especially like big like genre episodes. Like, what's fun to see is like that timing and that like understanding of how to stretch out small things into bigger moments. That is something really cool. Like I think about all the time, the um, the Blackwater scene when the explosion happens. Like that is per- yeah. that's a perfect example of what Neil Marshall does best, which is like take something small, stretch it out long enough to sh- shock the shit out of you. Like I yeah. love that shit. 
And that's what Dog yeah, Soldiers has like in spades, like almost every time is like the breadth of the scenes and the amount of time you have in between kind of kills. It's not just like rapid fire shit. He really takes mm-hmm. his time so that you really give a shit about like you're talking about giving giving a shit about these characters and then once you start taking things away from them like that's the part where it really starts getting fun yeah cuz i mean even think about it right the big man who dies in the car he liked football uh the guy yeah. who said more like pussies and gets pulled out of the window i don't yeah. really know what his unique trait is um the guy who goes feral right which i like he unleashes his beast and starts a fucking stick and stick and jab, right? right? Yeah. Stick and slip on the werewolf, right? Uh, I don't know what his unique trait was, right? Right. Even Cooper, I only know that Cooper is a hard ass who doesn't kill. Is dogs. at at best is puzzled by whether or not he should or should not kill dogs, right? <laughs> That's his real defining trait is that he's he's really grappling with that. Yeah. And then Sarge is an old Cooper's soldier who wants to get home it. to his his wife. Yeah, Cooper. Yeah, so that's what I mean, right? Like, for sure. none of them have, none of them have like a deep, rich backstory or character per se to latch onto. But it's in their interactions and the the honesty of their interactions, right? And the the authenticity of their interactions as a unit that makes you bond onto them so much more than the material is presenting you yeah. information to do that. I mean, that's what's so genius. I mean, that's what's on the thing that I love the most about this is like, everyone is fairly bare bones. Like there's no one who is like, I am the hero. Like they present Cooper a little bit like that, but Cooper, you know, like you don't have to like, like, you don't have to like him for being the hero. That's the thing I really like about Dog Cooper's soldiers. on record as would kill a dog. So he's <laughs> right. not an all the way hero. But that's the thing I like the most about this movie is like no one is presented as like that's the guy that I'm assigning as like the hero of this story. Like no one is assigned a role in this movie. It's up to you as an as an audience member to really even the werewolves. On. No, even the werewolves. Like the werewolves no one is as we see actually are specific. seemingly this you know, pretty nice little family. Yeah, that, exactly. You know, when it's that time of the month, uh, they all go out and fucking spill blood and eat. Right. And they do have a Texas Chainsaw Massacre basement uh, for their leftovers. They do. But so I don't know if that was telling me that they don't want to waste the meat, right? So, like, if they kill on the first night of being a werewolf, they can eat that the second right. night. Or if they're eating that when they're not in werewolf form, that's a little that's bad. That makes them all the way bad people. Oh, really? I thought it was. Um, like, isn't it good? <laughs> it's conservation. They're werewolf leftovers. It's fine. Right. That's the whole point. But even the the lady who is the werewolf Judas, right, is probably one of our kind of moral high ground characters throughout the film, right? Right. But then so it's a there, ruse. there really is this, uh, you know, this. It it kind of takes everything from a perspective of. Uh, the law of the jungle. Right. Right? Like, we are just all out here in the woods. There's no civilization. There's no ranks. There's no, uh, you know, none of this stuff matters, right? Right. Let's just get down on our fucking Beowulf style, right? Dong's flailing. Let's <laughs> fucking fight to the death and see who eats who. Right. And, yeah, if in that context, right, of nature, there is no evil. Right. There's just two species trying to survive right that are at odds well and i think that's what kind of makes the uh, what makes werewolf judas 
Megan that much more interesting is because that's really what this movie's about. It has nothing to do with like who's right or who's wrong or who's good or who's bad. It is about like survival of the fittest. It's it's a movie about Darwinism essentially. And what's nice is like you don't have to like yes, she's a Judas for like fucking with these guys the entire time and eventually being like I left the back door open and also I'm a fucking werewolf. Like that's not cool. <laughs> like that's not morally ambivalent at all. That's very not cool. But it also is, you know, it also is the that's the right strategy. Well, also her plan of, I brought you here so that you could save me, but instead I could have just kept driving the other way <laughs> in my car. Right. Uh, yeah, like her, I think this movie would have been better without uh, the zoologist character. Not that she's bad in it or anything, right? but it does feel like she's just there for that kind of story turn. It's not necessary. They could have just ran and instead of running into her car, ran into the house. Right. And found a house that, why is this house empty? Discuss that. They don't need her for any scene. And then at the end, all she seemingly is there for is to prove Cooper's uh, sexism right. (laughs) Which I did not like. I was like, this is the wrong message to send. Cooper is a not well man who would maybe murder her dog. Right. But see, okay, then in response to that the way they end the movie is with this like hilarious like tabloid bit like werewolves ate, werewolves ate my platoon <laughs> so he gets fucking lambasted in pop culture by being like you know the guy who claims they saw bat boy you know so yeah but again they're saying oh this guy is uh going to be victimized for knowing the truth right well so they're reinforcing that this is a man of truth so when he's looking at all women and saying, see, they are all vile spider women that will betray you because I'm Cooper and I do everything right except for when I kill dogs. Uh, that's a bad – it's bad to, you know, even good people have some bad instincts and you don't you don't swaddle them in those moments, right? You don't wrap your arms around them and say, it's okay to have this repugnant thought, right? It's like, hey – Let's sand the edges off. Let's wash the shit off of our hands and be better people. Come on now. I absolutely love that we've discovered this like deep-seated misogyny within dog soldiers. Like more so than yes. I think we ever expected because a lot of werewolf movies are like built on this like alpha male premise essentially. It's right. very funny that we're like deep diving enough where it seems like the guy who's supposed to be the hero of the story is actually an asshole misogynist who pretty much, you know, Oh, the good thing is he doesn't kill dogs. What a hero. There's a good chance that Cooper hit women. No, I don't know that. I don't know that. (laughs) I'm just saying, Cooper does not seem like when this movie ends, he's going to go out and find a healthy relationship. No. He seems like the kind of guy who might just hit people first and then be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Now let's talk. I like the idea that you know I, mean? I like the idea that there's like a leaving Neverland sort of follow up movie to this. Like you know, right. leaving, <laughs> leaving dog soldiers, and you find out like, oh, you know, Cooper beat yeah. the shit out of like people the entire time. No, yeah, Cooper's definitely just at a VFW yeah, watching fucking uh, Infowars episodes on his fucking burner phone, being like, this guy knows what's up. That's his future. <laughs> He's a sad, sad man when this ends. Um, wow. We did forget the final showdown, which is fucking awesome. Sarge uh, yes. gives himself up. Fucking love that. He realizes he's a werewolf, right? So uh, Ryan has already turned wolf because this is the other trope. Right. The two men that are most badly hurt uh, begin to heal rapidly. Right. And that's how we know that they're turning. 
And this is the weird part too. They their turning isn't simply triggered off of the moon. No, no. It's right? Like, there there is some kind of ticking clock as to when they can and they can kind of fight it. Yeah, it's some and sort also, of like, uh werewolf Judas lady, the zoologist, she holds off for a really long yeah, time. Yeah, she's able to suppress it. I mean, this movie also has a great uh undercurrent of like women are the only people with willpower, men are pieces of shit. Like in to counteract yes. the shocking you know what's funny misogyny. too is because she was so not treated as like a oh look the token woman no because like they show her just like getting in there with the guns and fucking helping she's like pulling people up with ropes like she's just in there yeah being one of the guys she's the one who fucking knocks ryan out with the frying pan when they're gonna tie his ass up yep i mean that and then they turn the whole fucking thing into a mess with one fucking period joke but it was but it was what i was saying earlier like no one is really subscribed a role like you just sort of these characters just exist in their own vacuum which is what makes yeah. it more interesting and worth much more worth watching no it's it's cool man but yeah sarge's sacrifice was a cool moment i was kind of hoping to see him go mon like claw to claw yeah i was too and i was like oh man are we so about- fucking cool though man him staring at the picture of his wife and then uh you know taking him out with the explosion it was cool it somehow doesn't touch the basement at all <laughs> but then in the basement now this is cool right so when ryan turns earlier he gets fucking run through with the long sword doesn't bother him now we're in the texas chainsaw basement with him and the dog and cooper He's going at Coop, and he has Coop up against this fucking pillar. And he's actually holding Cooper's head, and the sword is still rammed through his guts. Right. And he's sliding it into Cooper's mouth through his fucking teeth. And it it actually made me cringe so bad. Because you just imagine the metal sliding through your teeth. It is such a fucking awesome moment. And then Ryan is almost prophetically... Accosted by a dog. <laughs> Ryan forgot the most important rule, which is always shoot the dog. Always shoot the dog first, guys. You, you- which then leads to an awesome moment of Coop grabbing a fucking the silver blade yeah. from the first scene, stabbing him, and then getting to finally shoot a dog. Right? It's such a lovely little bookend. <laughs> and it's a really cool scene. Yeah. In a really cool Texas Chainsaw Massacre basement. It is very cool. I, I agree. I, it was a great way to end that movie, right? Is it's it's like a blood sport boss fight, yeah, but with a werewolf and a sword and it's the know, perfect end, dead it, bodies on meat hooks. It's, it's the awesome. perfect ending to a movie like this. Like again, the thing I love about this movie and the thing that I really enjoyed throughout is that it never takes itself too seriously. It just takes itself seriously enough, and that really is a very difficult balance to strike. So when you get there and you don't lose it throughout the entire movie, that's a really impressive piece of work. Yeah, as long as the characters are believing in the stakes of the story, right? Right. That's what you want. Yeah. It's great. There's nothing that I can imagine. No, I, I think this movie that. is just such a. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a a really beautiful um, alchemist blend of genre, yeah, and tropes and gore. But um, with really fucking good, if not bare bones and thin, character work. Yeah. Because, again, none of these characters in this movie are, all of them are two-dimensional. But together, when you when you add them all together, right, they become this receptacle for deeper 
bonding and feeling yeah then they have any right becoming right i think that's what makes this movie really unique is like because they're so bare bones we have such an opportunity as viewers to ascribe them a personality essentially it's pretty cool yeah and we get to examine i like the way they use the werewolves too to examine the you know is this how uh other countries feel when soldiers invade right right um, you get a look at war, you get a look at, you know, sexism, you get a look at machismo and failure and, you know, being one-upped. Like, there, there's a lot of different uh, points of view that the characters are experiencing through these werewolves. Yeah. Um, that are really fucking fun, man. And the werewolves are cool. They're kind of the, the tall, big-eared, howling werewolf style, it. which I like. Absolutely love it. Yeah, man. Um, again, that's the thing that I keep coming back to is just, for a first movie, right? Because it plays a lot like Evil Dead. It's got the big spotlight behind the house and shit. Right. Um, you know, but whereas Sam Raimi just blew you away with style, this one is just so fucking proficient in how it lays its foundations. It never misses the big shot. Um, it just no. gets you there in a more, not better, right? Just a... It's a sturdier way to build a narrative film to me. Yeah, I mean, right? It doesn't have all the flash and pizzazz, but you're so impressed that man, for a first time director, and I don't know if this is the first thing he had written, probably not, but first thing he had written and directed. Um, it's just really a a real control over the medium. Yeah, I mean, for an out movie that's an hour and forty five minutes, it's it's tight. I love it. I think it's a really, it's a very nicely structured movie. I don't feel like I'm wasting any time. Like th there were moments. It's funny. Cause I got to the end of the movie and I finished the movie and there were things that I thought were meandering. And I'm like, man, why did they like, while I was watching it, there were moments where I'm like, why do I give a shit about what these guys are talking about? And then at the end of the movie, I realized that's like the really great, like breadth of the story itself is like, these guys are holed up trying to just like stay sane. And that's the really fun part is yeah. that's the part that's like the war movie in it. Like that's the saving private Ryan beats that make those movies so palatable is like, if you just had to deal with like think about watching save it private, saving private Ryan and having to watch like three hours of Omaha beach. Like I'd fucking lose my mind. Like that yeah. is a bad example of what's going on in this movie. But that's also like what makes saving private Ryan so nice is yeah well i mean that's saving. the thing too right is that it's awesome as a horror movie but i mean as you said it movies like saving private ryan the war movie unit or the war unit movie right where it's about one troop or one squad and you really get embedded with them this movie does that surprisingly well yeah i think it's wonderful man i I honestly like for a movie that I was kind of like I had never heard I had never heard of and didn't know what what to expect. I was this is probably the first time I've watched a movie that you've said we're going to watch for this and I've been like, "Wow, that was exactly not there was I had no expectation and I was totally blown away with how good it was." <laughs> I'd like to think all my picks do that to you. The lure? The lure didn't do that for you? It wasn't exactly as you had foreseen. <laughs> the lure was uh it was an experience. Yeah, you weren't expecting. A I'm literally fucking... never. For, I'm never forgiving you for humanoids from the deep ever. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome for that movie. No, hey, I'm not here. I don't have to fucking answer for humanoids from the deep. Uh, hey, 
Uh, yeah, I loved Dog Soldiers, though, man. I'm not, yeah, I'm not locked up in a house fucking fighting for humanoids from the deep. <laughs> but I would do that for Dog Soldiers, because I do think it's, it's like you said, it's one of those movies that just kind of, it felt like it just slipped through the cracks, man. Yeah, it's it's rad, and I'm glad that Neil Marshall gets to keep making You know, he's got a Hellboy coming out, it should be cool. Yeah, man, he's, I just like that dude's uh, style. Yeah. I like the way he makes stuff, and uh, yeah, man. I hope you guys like Dog Soldiers as much as we did. Uh, we still have probably our two most prominent werewolf movies yeah. coming up next. Uh, next will be The Howling, and we're going to save uh, the granddaddy for uh, the end, right? Well, not the, I guess the granddaddy of werewolves is the Wolfman. But uh, this is probably, like, this is like me, the maybe peak werewolf movie is American Werewolf in London. Oh, it's my, right? it is my favorite horror movie of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, woo, it's way the fuck up there looking down on most other movies. Absolutely. So, uh, we are excited to keep unleashing the beast. Uh, two more. We also have Jordan Peele's Us we're going to be doing. Um, oh, I can't wait. Right after that movie comes out, it'll probably come out early in the week to make sure we uh, get at you guys while it's still hot and fresh. My friend. Um, so yeah, guys. That's what we're working on. My friend Ashley Ford interviewed Jordan Peele, Winston Duke, and Lapita Nyong'o. She went. She was at South by Southwest this weekend, and really, she got to watch us. And she said it was the scariest fucking movie she's ever seen. I am so excited to see it. That makes me so sad when non-horror movie people say that. Oh no, I'm fine with that. She's amazing. It's such an impossible bar because people always the two reviews you always hear is the scariest movie ever or this generation's exorcist those are like the ones they always fucking use i mean and it's like guys don't do that to horror movies man. i am paraphr- so i am paraphrasing i believe the way she put it was uh i am sleeping with the lights on after watching that movie which yeah, is that's which great. is great see i'm all for that perfect I'm way to describe it which i am excited about <laughs> ecstatic man yeah no he's that guy he's onto something man i hope this is just the uh second of many me too as it were i agree Yeah, guys, so that's it for the Film Alchemist. Uh, We'll see you next week. I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Ask yourself honestly. Would you shoot a dog? (laughs) Would you shoot that fucking dog? Would you shoot any fucking dog? Once you've made the moral leap to shoot a dog, why not all dogs? Ask yourself these questions. Are Are you Kevin McKidd or are you Private Spoon? Who are you? That's the real question.